1: Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. We are glad to have on the show with us Mike Dennis, Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member, uh, Ole Miss Rebel, um, NFL player, drafted by both leagues, AFL and NFL, pre-merger, and a um, Murrah Mustang as well. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Jay. It's, I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. With I'm, you too. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to kind of dig through all of the things that you've accomplished and where you've come from and 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 where you're going still to this day. And yeah. uh, um, first, it's it's been you know 50 years since you played you play professional football, uh, but we like to to
2: reminisce about you know Mississippi's outstanding athletes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was coached in high school at Murrah. I went to Murrah High School here in Jackson, and I had coach Jack Carlisle. Oh yeah, and, you know, <laughs> just one of the most famous high school coaches ever. Yep. And then uh, I signed with Ole Miss, and on my, I, I was a freshman at Ole Miss under Wobble Davidson. You've you heard that name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I played f- for three years under Coach Vault on the varsity team. We won the SEC championship in and, uh, and my sophomore year. I guess uh, we finished up the '65 season, and I was drafted at that point. Drafted into both leagues. Yeah. That, so I was. That was the last year of the double draft. Yeah. Uh, the Buffalo Bills had called me and said they wanted to take me as their number one draft choice, and that's AFL, right? That's AFL, and the Falcons, right, in the NFL. Yeah, and so I told I told Buffalo, I had a connection through Coach uh, Bruiser Kennard, who was one of our, our coaches. Sure, yeah, absolutely, you you've heard, you know him. But uh, he had helped me. He was friends with the Buffalo Bills owner, and so we we conversed, and I told him I was going to sign with them after after they drafted me number one, and because uh, Atlanta was in the NFL Atlanta had drafted me and they were a uh, first year team. Yeah. And for a running back I didn't think <laughs> that that would be the best place for me. <laughs> Not the best health plan. Right. And uh, so I told I was going to sign with Buffalo. Well, I got a phone call the next night after the draft uh-huh. and it was the Los Angeles Rams. And they had shown a lot of uh, interest in me. They had scouts come to our practices and stuff and uh, so they told me they won. They'd gotten their my rights from the from the Falcons. Wow! So then I had a big choice. You know, it, it was really a, and the Rams were not an expansion team. No, and, by any and, and they were. You know, they were in a warm climate too. <laughs> uh, my wife. Her grandmother lived in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and she told me, "Mike, you don't want to go play in Buffalo because <laughs> they were playing outside, you know." Yeah. And anyway, she says it really gets cold up there. But uh, I, I never played a game at Buffalo; we just never played them.
1: So let me be honest: a, a, a
2: young boy from Mississippi uh, with the opportunity to
1: play, or I mean, live in the, the the lights of Los
2: Angeles. I know it's not what it. It's different today than that. It was back then. Oh yeah, but still. But it. Well, we lived. We lived down in and trained down in Orange County. Mm-hmm. We, you know, you've heard a lot of Orange County stories, of oh, course. Yes. It was a fun place. We were on the beach right there. Long Beach was. Our, we had a practice facility at Long Beach, and uh, it was. It was. It, it worked out great. Uh, you know, I got there my first year. And now, wait a minute. Did you have to – how was the conversation with Bruiser? And you had to go back and – Oh, that was tough cause, cause for he, me to he tell him because that up was his friend. Yeah. Had, yeah. And that, that was tough. But uh, hey, what he told me – and and I, and I really appreciated him. He said, Mike, you're a young man. You make your choice. And if you want to go there, that's fine with me. He didn't try to talk me into doing something different. And uh, that was the last year of the double draft because the next year – if I had been redshirted at Ole Miss, I wouldn't have had the advantage of <laughs> being able to, you know, barter with them, you know. Yeah. It, it was – I had an option. And so – but I, I signed with the Rams. A th- I signed a three-year contract with them. And I went out there, and I, and I had a great coach there. I had Johnny Vaught and all those great pools and canards yeah. in in college. And then I get George Allen. Wow. He was a great coach. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, he he had named me starter for the first game my rookie year, and I bet that went over well with the locker room, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but uh, we had had some scrimmages, and I had led led you know the team and in, in yardage in the scrimmages. So he, he named me the starter for the first game. Well, on Wednesday. Of that that <laughs> week, our last contact, our quarterback handed me. About we were doing the uh, goal line. Plays and and so I took the ball running half speed, ran into the end zone. Well, the defensive back that was trying to make the team came roaring in there and hit my man on the right leg, yeah, and tore my tore my knee. Mm. And so I had I got off to a pretty weak start in the NFL. So I had to have surgery and and. Uh, it was about two years before I before I got back because I had tore my anterior cruciate and all the all the cartilage mm. they had to take it all out and so it kind of slowed me down but uh, I came back uh, that's a that's a long story probably don't want you don't want me to get into this <laughs> I went to the Packers in '67. Even though I was under a three-year contract with the Rams, I went up there and, and and spent the year with the Packers traveling and hoping to get to play in the Super Bowl, Yeah. And uh, but they didn't ever work out a trade, so the, my ne- next year, I went back to my third year now, <laughs> I went back to the Rams.
1: So, in the second year of your three-year deal, the Packers, or excuse me, the Rams... Almost essentially lent lent you yes. to just travel and maybe
2: just almost like Learned understudy the with the with the Packers. Well, they had had some injuries; they mm-hmm. lost two running backs, and so they were they were needing somebody. And they went and what they were going to try to do is get me in the system. Yeah. And uh, and so, I, like I said, I traveled one with the Packers in '67. Uh, you know, I had a number. You know, that we I had my every day was a day that they talked about could I get a contract. Yeah. And so I was still you know like. Hit on three year with the with the Rams, but uh, it, it worked out. Uh, they picked up a guy on waivers, mm-hmm. Chuck Mersine. He may he scored a, <laughs> he scored a touchdown in that sixty seven Super Bowl too. <laughs> he, I, I helped him learn the plays. He, <laughs> he came in there and so and he so you did help out. I did with Vince Lombardi. Yeah, and Coach Bay Lombardi. Packers. And he told me when I left. I left after the last game because I. I realized I couldn't play I had to go back to LA which turned out really good for me uh, but Coach Lombardi told me when I left that Green Bay that day I'm going to have you before next year <laughs> that's what he said but you know what he never went back there that was the end of his situation yeah. and uh, I went back to the Rams in 68 and that's when the year I had a, I was rookie of the year for the Rams in 1968 yeah. I, I got to run the ball caught some passes and played on special teams yeah. uh, you
1: talked about about 1967, back with the LA Rams, and you were the rookie of the year. Tell me a little bit about that. I'm sorry, 68,
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I got to go back. I'd been with the Packers in the middle of those two years uh-huh. and uh, got back to LA, and things went well. And I had a good uh, preseason. I scored a couple touchdowns in, and I guess I was the backup running back. Mm-hmm. I was the number two guy. And I got, Roman Gabriel liked to get me in there because he I could catch passes, Yeah. and he always, you know, wanted me in there for in passing situations, particularly. So I, I you know, I played a good bit in '68, and then went back in '69, and um, had a little injury, played some, had a had a, th- a thigh tear, and got hit against the Chargers we were playing in the preseason game, and. Uh, so uh, a guy came along named Larry Smith, mm-hmm. and uh, from Florida, he was this one, first Gatorade guy the Yeah, big mm-hmm. tall guy. He was he was a great running back. So in '69 he played and was really good. I played some and he played a lot. So uh, <laughs> so I was I was going back in 1970, which was my last year, and kind of feeling. You know, I'm not going to get to play much. I, I might have to really get after it in this preseason to get get some playing time back. And uh, Larry Smith broke his leg getting off the airplane. Mm. Goodness, the, the runway. You know, in 50 years ago, the runways, you know, the jets didn't pull up into the yeah terminal. They they had the little push away run ladders. Anyway, he, he fell and broke his leg, and so for the first preseason game, I was the starter. In '70, yeah, that was the next year, and uh, I broke I broke on a a trap play and thought I was gone up the middle, and guy came down hit me on the side my right knee, the same one, and uh, it it just locked up, Mm -hmm. and that was pretty much the end of my football career. Yeah. We need
1: to take a break in this fascinating discussion with Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member Mike Dennis. When we come back, we'll talk about what happened with Mike's life after pro football. I'm Jay White with producer Liz Gill. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio.
3: interview we invite you to go to our website mpbonline.org slash season pass to hear more interviews with mississippi sports hall of fame members
1: Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. We're speaking with Ole Miss Alam, former Los Angeles Rams football player Mike Dennis, about his life and career. In the last segment, we were hearing about how Mike's injury ended his pro football career after four years. When you're faced with that, and guys in 1970 aren't making millions and millions of dollars like they are now. No. So um, when, when football has been this... Centerpiece of your life, uh, your still young life up until yeah. this point. How do you pivot from that? How do you how do you get yourself in the right frame of mind to pivot
2: from that? Well. Well, got, I mean, you the, got a the, cold turkey. The good, the good thing was, at, uh, when I was at Ole Miss, I took pre-med, mm-hmm. and I had planned to go to med school. I talked to the med school here in Jackson, and they told me, well, we don't have part-time students. You come back and talk to us when you finish with your football. Yeah. Okay. So I thought, well, okay, uh, that's just what I'll have to do. And then I got a phone call got a phone call. This was in 66 mm-hmm. um, from Dr. Lewis Guy. He's a guy that played for Ole Miss, a really good wide receiver. I know you've heard of him. Yeah, And uh, Lewis called me and said, Mike, you ever thought about going to dental school? And I said, well, yeah, I have thought about it. And he said, well, we've got a group. And he had graduated. He was a f- friend of mine, like I said. And he graduated three years ahead of me from Ole Miss. And he said, we have a group that, uh, of pro football players that are going to the University of Tennessee Dental School in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Gary, Gary Quazzo was a quarterback for the Colts. They had Billy Cannon. Wow. <laughs> uh, Lewis Guy, white grades from LSU that was a defensive back had those guys already in school on the quarter system and they they were the only dental school in the United States on a quarter system but I, so I talked to Lewis about it and I said, he said well you know I said who do, how do I contact and he said well you know who's on the board our team doctor was Dr. Varner at Ole Miss mm-hmm. and he practiced in Memphis and he was on the the medical board up there so anyway I, I had him I, I, you know, I notified him and within well, a couple months I was in yeah. and so I started after that first year, I started. So for the next all those five years, I'd go back from LA to Memphis, excuse mm-hmm. me and uh, I go to I go to dental school in the off season. Wow, it, it was good though. I mean, I really thought that one thing it helped me retain because I'd have to remember things from like June till January when I started back in dental school Mm -hmm. so anyway when I was when I had that last surgery the orthopedic surgeon talked to me and said Mike you know that knee's not in good shape," he said. "You you're, you're to be a dentist. You just need you just need to go ahead and, and hang it up." Yeah, and so that's what I did. I Was went there any thought
1: to... before that? Before he mentioned that
2: to you, was there any thought about? Yeah, and because keeping... he's you know he thought I'll be fine, you know. If, mm-hmm. But uh, what had happened? I had regrown cartilage in there, yeah, and the the secondary cartilage was torn and caught in the knee, and so he had to clean that out. Yeah, but anyway, he he said, you know, you could play, but you know, why don't you go and go to the school? Right. I'm sure the Rams didn't appreciate him saying that, but uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's what I did. So it didn't it didn't take much for you. Well, I didn't have time to mourn over it. Yeah. to get me back to school. And uh so I did and and then a year and a half later I was I was a dentist.
1: How long did it take you to be able to see a football game and not have like an itch or a yearning to run out there and be in the middle of it? Oh, till I was fifty years
2: old. <laughs> <laughs> I had a you know And back then, when I left the NFL, I had four years. Because the one year that I was at Green Bay, that was my best financial year because both teams paid me. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, I didn't get credit for that year. Yeah. Because I was not on, I went on a medical injury list and I didn't play. Yeah. So I had four years. Well, it took five years for the, to get your right. retirement at, yeah. that, at that time. And um, so I would have dreams at night of going back out there at 50 years old <laughs> and carrying the football <laughs> up the middle and getting hit, and somebody falling on my knee, just because I wanted to go back and get that fifth year. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Did well, you? about well, the time that I was, like, 55 years old, uh, <laughs> they changed it to four years. How about that? Yeah. And, I mean, I immediately started getting checks. Wow. At 55. And, uh, anyway, that was, I never had another dream about that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: That's, That's remarkable. Getting it up in the line at age 50 or whatever. Tell me about being inducted into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Oh, that was great! All the people, all the people involved, because you know I've got so many f- good friends that are there, and mm-hmm. and the the people that worked there were some Rick Cleveland dealing with him. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, it was just a great, and all my all my family went with me down there. Yeah, and they enjoyed it, getting to see films and stuff that they hadn't <laughs> seen. And, uh, it, it's just been real. It's a great honor uh, to be in that because there've been some great. Athletes come out of Mississippi. Yep,
1: and a bunch of guys off those teams. Yeah, a I... couple of teams that preceded you there
2: and the right. coach. Yep, bunch of guys in the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame from that group. And I've got, you know, there's a lot of. I was practicing. I was also in an in NFL alumni. Chapter here, mm-hmm. and uh, Eagle Day was on it. That was before he passed away. He kind of ran things, and I, I got to know some some of these guys that had played that I really you know didn't know in when I was in the NFL. Yeah, people like Eddie Payton. Yeah, Nolan Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Richardson. Yeah, we we all played golf and went fishing, and I still. <laughs> Eddie and Nolan and I still get together, too. Yeah. That's, that's two that probably need to be in that Mississippi Absolutely. Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah. Absolutely. They do. I, I've got one other thing I wanted to say. Sure. I, I mean, to, hats off to Mississippi State's baseball team. They're doing so good. And I think I've never met him, but I, I think Jake Mangum may be one of the best base, college baseball players that I've ever seen. hmm I mean, he hits. He runs a bases. He plays tremendous outfield. Yep, I really want to meet him sometime. His granddad and I were good friends. <laughs> How
1: about that? Yeah,
2: he, he, John Mangum. Mm-hmm. All right, John came up to Ole Miss. He he went a year ahead of me. Yeah, he he signed with Ole Miss and was highly recruited. And he got up there and he was he weighed about three hundred pounds mm-hmm. and he could run. I mean, he could have made it anywhere. He got homesick. And decided he wanted to go back to McGee, Mississippi. And he did. And And he ended up playing at Southern Mississippi. And he was an All-American there, and uh, I got in touch with him again because we were friends when he was. I used to talk to him all the time when we were when we were at Ole Miss together. But uh, we we teamed up in the blue-gray game down in Montgomery in 1965. Yeah, and he was. I was a starting tailback, and Hall Grange was starting fullback (laughs) from Mississippi State, (laughs) and we had John from Southern. It was our offensive tackle. How about that? Yeah, it was neat. And I got to you know I spent a week down here you know before that game. And uh, he, he was doing great. Everything was going good. And But he he passed way too early. Mm-hmm. But he'd be so proud of Jake Mangum. No doubt. I mean, I can just imagine how it would, you know. I, I really don't know young John, the one that played at Alabama, mm-hmm. who is his dad. I know Chris, his uncle. Yeah. It was an All-American tight end for Ole Miss. Pretty good pedigree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that Mangum group, is, they're tough. Thank you so much for coming in, Anton. Well, Talking to us. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Yes, sir.
1: It's time for another break in today's Season Pass. When we come back, we'll speak with Jeremiah Morgan, a Mississippian who competes with American Ninja Warrior. He finished the Dallas qualifiers and is moving on to the Dallas City Finals in the next few weeks. That's coming up after this break on MPB's Season Pass. Back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Have you seen the reality television competition American Ninja Warrior? It's broadcast on the NBC family of networks, and its folks have incredible power, balance, and agility. Amazing athletes. They use rock climbing talents, endurance ability, brute strength, and more to compete in timed obstacle courses. We have one of the athletes here with us today who is from Mississippi. Welcome to the show, Jeremiah Morgan from Past. Jan Jeremiah, good morning. How are you?
4: Good morning, man. I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic.
1: How about you? I'm doing well. It's great to talk to you, and I, I'm so glad that uh, that Liz found this story because every time I watch this show, it, I not one episode fails to astound me with people's athleticism. Um, and from a sports guy perspective, I'm always like, man, do these guys have eligibility left? Uh, but uh, yeah, tell us. I mean, this is your fourth year to compete in American Ninja Warriors? Is that correct?
4: Yes, yeah, it is.
1: How did you get started in the first place with it?
4: Um, it's actually probably just your typical story, you know. Me and my uh, me and my family, my brother Josh and uh, father Mark. We we enjoyed the show so much, being athletes ourselves, you know, seeing these guys' talents, and um, you know, kind of your everyday person that that really is extraordinary, you know, in so many ways. So we we were just watching the show one day and sitting, you know, sitting there going, "Man, I really think we could do this," you know, a lot a lot like how a lot of people do at home, you know, watching TV watching show is going. I think I might be able to do that. You know, amongst that we kind of we kind of, you know, tossed around the idea, you know, hey, do we want to apply, you know? Do we want to actually give this a shot and you know, first came the show. We finally threw out an application video and this is um, I want to say all the way back in season 6. It's been a long time from then, of course. And we ultimately just just threw it out there really realistically thinking, you know, we're not going to get a call back or anything and <laughs> State has it, you know, it wasn't, but a month or two later, we got a call from, uh, you know, the producers, and they, they really liked our story, you know, and the rest is history from there. They, they put us on there, we thoroughly enjoyed it, and, you know, done well enough that, uh, you know, that they've invited us back, you know, year after year, and, and it's been, a, you know, it's been a been a ride. It's been a lot of fun.
1: So, when you made that video, what were you thinking that maybe you needed to do, or what were you trying, What maybe what was the angle that you were trying to get across that you thought maybe would make you stand out, or, or or, or did you think that deeply into it?
4: Sure, no, no, we definitely did. I mean, you know, you look at a big show like this nationally broadcast. It's you got a lot of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are all applying and, and trying to trying to do something that'll catch the producer's ear and their eye. And ultimately, we. Um, you know, we noticed that there was a lot of single athletes. In other words, you know, just either a guy or a girl or a, or a dad or a mom, you know, telling their story. And you know, we wanted to um, kind of come at a different angle. And we thought, you know what? Let's bring the family aspect. So, you know, past couple of years, it, it's just been me, but you know, my brother Josh is a huge, huge reason on on why I'm even, you know, where I'm at with my abilities, my capabilities, and and uh, he trains me hard and he he puts me in the position to where I can to where I can succeed. And, and really, for us, we just wanted to bring a family aspect. You know, my dad also competed uh, for two years right there in the beginning, and, and that was just an avenue that Ninja Warrior didn't have, you know, where you actually had a father and his two sons, you know, all putting in the hard work and all wanting to get out there com- and compete. So, it was a, you know, it was an angle that they didn't have, and I think that is what really caught their eye. Um, as well as, my dad is a an unbelievable character all in himself. He's a, <laughs> not a trip, he's a vacation, you know, if you ever Meet him. He's, he's just a he's just a joy to be around, and, and they really ate up his, um, you know, his personality and how much fun he has.
1: That's fantastic. So, d- d- does Dad ever give you guys grief about the fact that he could still he can still run with you guys and compete with you guys, the the younger man's game here?
4: Yeah, yeah. He you know he really is more of a. Um a completer than a competitor. Um, he is—he's—he's he's been a coach all of his life, um, you know, with a wrestling background, and and so his his mo has always been just trying to take people to the next level. You know, it hasn't uh, been been a uh, a competitive nature in him, but it really is. He he loves to see people succeed. It really is something special. And and for us as his son, that's that's been his goal. You know, he just he puts us in positions. He he coaches us. He builds us up. He's constantly trying to bring the best out of us. and. and Really, you know, I know you would think, you know, hey, pops has still got it at, at nearly sixty now, he's fifty nine, and, and he still, you know, still can run, you know, run up the salmon ladder with no problem. And, you know, it's really not about competition for him. He's just he gets so so much excitement out of just seeing other people do well. It's it's really something special.
1: So let me ask you, how do you train for events like this? I've seen a lot of the a lot of the the individual capsules that they have that focus on an individual, and you see training you see like maybe some parkour or some crossfit things like that i know that can't be all that you do what all do you do to get in shape for these things
4: well you know ninja warriors are completely different beast when it comes to you know your athleticism and your ability you have a lot of sports you know you got football basketball wrestling soccer and all these things are, are very um, Skill-specific in the mindset that you know you've got to be good at a very specific you know set of skills. While Ninja Warrior really encompasses a whole lot, you know you, you have to have stamina, you have to have tremendous strength, you have to have tremendous agility, you have to have a lot of mental toughness, you know, because every time you're on the course, you're facing something you you usually have never seen before. So there's a lot of you know the, the word I kind of token is adaptability. You have to immediately be able to adapt to what's right there in front of you, which you know kind of tokens the idea of a ninja, right? You you face things that that are fast-paced, that come at you quick, and you have to react, and you have to react the right way every time. It's, it's It really is a different a different world when it comes to training. I mean, naturally, of course, we still do a lot of, uh, you know, your standard weightlifting style training, and you know, when it comes to push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, gym-ups, you know, all of these things and, and getting on the, you know, your standard workout equipment. But really, any ninja who's competed knows it is absolutely imperative that you actually have ninja obstacles to train on. You know, you have to be able to have that feel of an obstacle, whether you're flying from a little ball or whether you're holding on to a ring or a little cliff, you know, you, you have to have those things to be prepared for the show because everything you see on the show, you know, you look at it and you go, man, that, that's, that doesn't look too bad, but when you actually <laughs> but you realize this is tremendously difficult, and, and as humbly as I can put it, a lot of us make it look easy, but it, it really is tremendously difficult. So we, we we basically have to build obstacles, so that's what I've done, you know, in our little barn that we've built, uh, we kind of token that term, you know, our gym is really more less a, a pole barn, and, and we hang up, you know, all the obstacles that we can possibly possibly make which I've made probably you know 30 or 40 myself and wow uh, that's probably the most the best way to train itself is, is to build obstacles and get on them because anybody can run and, and get some cardio going and, and whatnot but you really have to take the time and to build the obstacles and, and getting that feel. so that you know that is our main focus
1: for the record I've never said that anything on oh, that show looks easy <laughs> uh, or, or uh, even attainable for me so let me ask you something Sometimes they show uh, some runs where somebody will, you know, accidentally trip or something like that, and they get knocked out way early in a run. When you're competing and and you're kind of in the heat of the moment, so to speak, um, does something like that happen a lot? I know they don't show every single run that every competitor makes on the on the cut that they have produced for television, but how? how, Even at the beginning of the run when some of the things are a little bit easier, how how difficult is that? And how how hard is it to to keep from getting ahead of yourself and and accidentally tripping up and making a mistake?
4: Yeah, that's a a killer question. You know, myself, if, if you know the history of my runs and whatnot, I have been, you know, blessed enough to be able to go, you know, go to Vegas, you know, each time that I've competed in these previous years and been able to do well, succeed. Of course, I've had some stumbles and some falls, but I've been able to go far enough, fast enough to get me, you know, Continually qualifying, so um, in that arena I've been, I've been, you know, really blessed. But I, what I'd probably say is, is most difficult is is exactly what you just said. You can sometimes get ahead of yourself. You know, you look at the quintuple steps, which if anybody's watched the show, they know that's the first obstacle.
1: That's if the one I was I was thinking about exactly. Actually, yeah,
4: you know, it looks so so painfully easy when you see a ninja just kind of one foot round across them. You kind of think, well, yeah, all you got to do is just kind of leapfrog across. But they're so much further than they seen that, you know, everything about, you know, what you're seeing on TV is is to the max in real life. You know, when you actually get there and you see it and, you know, sometimes things can be slippery. I mean, there's water underneath there and people fall and they can get a little wet and they do their best to dry everything off. But, you know, it is a TV show. This is not like a perfectly sanctioned, you know, nationwide competition. You know, you you have to remind yourself it's a TV show and there are certain aspects of it that may not all be 100% perfectly fair. You know, some guys run a lot earlier in the night and some guys run way late in the actual wee hours of the morning, you know, a lot of that plays a role. You know, I mean, us normal human beings, we like to usually sleep at night, yeah. be awake for the day, but um, you know that show airs throughout the night. You know, and that alone can be tough on the body. You know, you kind of turn your internal clock around, and, and all of that plays a role on even the most simple of obstacles. You know, you you get on the quintuple steps, and you and you're already thinking about the next obstacle or the obstacles ahead that a lot of people have fallen on. But really, a lot like life, you know, you got to kind of just put one foot ahead of the other. You know, focus on what's right there in front of you. You know, once you accomplish that task, move on to the next one. So that that just like you're saying is is almost the answer in the question. If you can if you can get your mind to be calm to focus on that one obstacle that's ahead of you, and as soon as you're done and you hit that next platform, hey, now we'll attack the next one. You know, I've found that's the most successful way to get through it. And, I mean, and speed a lot of times can be your enemy or your friend. The quicker you can get through an obstacle, of course, the less you've taxed your muscles, you know. So if you can get through an obstacle quickly, that, that's a goal as well. Not so fast that you make a, you know, kind of a mindless mistake, but, um, you know, fast enough that you can, you know, save a little bit of that muscle strength for later because obviously yeah. the obstacle... Get harder.
1: We need to jump in and take our last break of the show. Right now, we're speaking with Jeremiah Morgan, one of Mississippi's American Ninja Warriors. I'm Jay White with producer Liz Gill, and this is MPB's Season Pass on Think Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MPB Season Pass. If you've missed any of these great interviews we've had today, you can listen to the whole show on our website, mpbonline.org, slash pass. You can also download our show as a podcast whenever and wherever you get your podcasts. We've got just a little time left to finish up our interview with Jeremiah Morgan. He competes in the American Ninja Warrior competition broadcast this summer on the NBC Networks. We've talked with Jeremiah about how he prepares for the competitions. Now we'll get into the actually running of the obstacles you You mentioned the the tapings run well into the night and the early mornings that's that 's got to be extremely difficult because you know I mean sports usually have like a start time so so you go out here and you get ready and you get yourself in the mental place you need to be and how how Far in advance do you know when it's going to be your run, or do you just kind of have to stay ready for hours at a time?
4: You, you got a set of producers. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of producers that are all around the course and whatnot. It's a, such a cool experience. Now, you wish a lot of people who watch at home could actually be there and, and see what actually takes place because it is it is a little bit of a different scenario on set than it is you know looking through the lens of your uh, of your TV screen. You know, you got a lot of producers around that lets you know what your number is. You know, as soon as you get on set, you know you you do know what your number is. You know, you take your pictures and photos and stuff like that and of course you have a you know, you have a lot of kids and whatnot that are all around there that want to, you know, get autographs and think that all of us normal Joes are superstars or something. <laughs> when we really all just go back home to our families, <laughs> ourselves, and then go back to normal life. But you know, we do know we we usually get about a, a good five competitor heads up. Usually about five people before you, you you start to warm up. You get in yeah. the folding where they have some pull-up bars and pads and and stuff. You can jump around some trampolines just to kind of get your body warm. Of course, you know, just like a uh, you know, just like LeBron James go out, you know, goes out there and does his pregame warm up before the big game. You know we, we have to do the same thing. You know we got to get out there and get on the bars and get our muscles warm and ready. You know because sometimes you're competing at night and it's cold. You know some of these regions are, are actually really cold. So we do know we are aware, but like you say, it is it is a world of difference because we are competing at night. You know I've ran I've ran some pretty extreme times. I've ran from eleven you know eleven p.m. to four a.m. Wow. Um, so the, the time that you Run is a just a complete uh, toss-up. You know, there is no, um, there is no favoritism. You know, just because I've done well and went to Vegas a handful of times, there's not like a oh, well, you get to choose when you run. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate. You know, I really do appreciate that because it does need to be fair and, and kind of a kind of a where you just kind of pull the numbers out of a hat and you run when you run. So that's. That's a part of the game that makes it difficult. You know, you never know if you're going to run it at 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 2 a.m., and, and you got to somehow muster up this this inside ability that hey, it's the middle of the day and I'm primed up and ready to go, which you're not. You're tired. You're lethargic. <laughs> you got to somehow get out there and do it. So it's tough. But but it, you know, obviously, a lot of the ninjas prove it's more you know more than doable.
1: How far in advance do you know what the course is going to be like for you know whatever specific event is next? Are they try to come up with new stuff, add stuff, pull stuff? Out? out, change it around a little bit. So how, how far in advance do you know what it is you're about to go tackle?
4: Um, so we usually show up on set anywhere between I don't know, six thirty and nine thirty. Usually, they kind of have the ninjas come in in two waves because you've got about hundred and twenty guys and girls. So you're looking at maybe I don't know, three or four hours of time that you get that that you glance at the obstacles and then you go back to ninja holding. And ninja holding is usually about uh, somewhere behind the obstacle course, so you don't get to sit there and just stare at it the whole time and plan out your moves. Interesting. Uh, some of the ninjas will get to walk alongside with their buddies or friends, and uh, you know, obviously, at that point you can look at the course a little bit more. But I think I think most ninjas would say when you get an opportunity to look at the course, that's usually just about all you need. is one look to get an idea of okay, this is what I'm facing. And lately, they've been uh, they've been allowing us to have a TV screen in our ninja holding where we can watch each of our ninjas runs. Because obviously, you know, a lot of us are good friends and and uh, they connected throughout the year, and it's it's really important to us to be able to see how they do. So, you know, just like the person that you know at home with a TV screen gets to watch it while we're on set, there's a little TV that we can watch each ninja as they go through it. So, we do get plenty of, of visual on, on what's there. You know, we get a little walkthrough period where they walk us through the course and say, you know, hey, you can touch this, you can't touch that. Um, you can use your hands here, uh, you can't use your feet there. You know, mm. so there's a handful of rules, and sometimes you'd be watching us go through the course and you're like, why don't they put their feet up on the obstacle and hold on? It's not <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and there's even, you know, uh, there's even parts, and y'all will get to see in, in our finals course, and of course, I'm not giving any results here, but in the finals course uh, here for this year, you'll, you'll get to notice some, some really cool obstacles in the fallout. You know, they have Mission Impossible fallout this year, so that's going to be exciting to, to see some of the new obstacles, um, you know, for the viewers, but there are certain handholds, you know, on the obstacles that you can and can't grab certain ways. Even though they're there, you still can't grab, you know, a certain handle with two hands. You have to do it with one hand. So they're just they're just making it tougher and tougher on us, you know. <laughs> and uh well, wow,
1: that seems you know, almost know. counterintuitive to a certain extent.
4: Absolutely. And that you know, we're thinking, man, they're like, "Oh, let's make it impossible for us." But you can just tell from season 1 to now just how much the athletes have gotten better. Yeah. I mean, if those same obstacles, we would breeze through them with our eyes closed, just cuz, you know, obviously we we evolve and get stronger as well as the obstacles get harder. So you know, we we have we have plenty of time to look at the course and and see what it is. But we, but it, at the same time, that's all we get to do is look at it. You know, there's not like a practice run. You know, this isn't where you get to try it out and feel it. No, it's just a one shot. You get it or you don't. And that's it. You go home and it's another year. So it's, it it can be pretty pretty fierce.
1: All right, so is there a specific, um, I guess, event or exercise that you have to perform that is your mortal enemy on this thing, the thing that if you see that it's coming up or maybe you train harder because you know, man, you and this thing, you just just don't get along?
4: Yeah, that is going to be, if you watched in Season 7, I got to Stage 3 in Vegas, uh, which is, you know, very few have been at that point, and um, I got to the... The ultimate cliffhanger, which they've made even harder, and uh, I fell about halfway through it, um, which is only, you know, another two obstacles away from getting to do the final rope climb, you know, for the million. So I just felt it right there. I mean, I was right there. So that cliffhanger was, was something that's kind of stuck in the back of my mind. I definitely would love some revenge on that thing this year if I get the opportunity. So I would probably say that cliffhanger was was, man, it was just a beast. It was it was so difficult, you know, it was, it was hard. It was, I mean, everything that you can think in the world of difficulty is, you know, is embodied in that cliffhanger. You know, you're hanging for so long on your fingertips on these little ledges and you got to swing back and forth and yeah. swing the ledges behind you, in front of you, to the side of you. It's just it's just a, a beast. You know, that that is definitely, you know, one of the harder ones, I guess, a nemesis if you, you know, if you had to token the name yeah. for it. At the same time, you know, the very thing we have to do is, is get... Get those obstacles out of our head and just attack them like we've, you know, like we've seen them before, like we've done it before with confidence. I mean, anything else in life, you know, when you hit it with confidence, you seem, you seem to have more success. So, so I'm excited to to hopefully have a chance at that.
1: I tell you the one that, and I can't do any of these, uh, so just make that clear. But the one that that every time I see it, it, it gives me like wide awake nightmares. Is the one where you have uh, the bar that is set into some hooks, and then you have, like, escalating hooks, and you have to basically chin up this bar into higher and higher and higher and higher hooks. I don't know what the name of it is.
4: Oh, yeah, that's the salmon ladder.
1: I have to change the channel when that happens, because I'm just like, oh, that makes me want to die.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the bar looks like a pull-up. Basically, you do a pull-up, and then you sling the bar up into the next set of rungs. Uh. Like you say, hooks. Yeah, salmon ladder. So yeah, we have one of those in our gym. You know, we've had it in there since since the beginning of us even even wanting to do Ninja Warrior. As terrible as it seems, that is a super super common obstacle in yeah. Ninja work and into Ninja Gym. So it's become an obstacle that many ninjas are very proficient at. But it's also an obstacle that no matter how good you are, no matter how many times you've done it, if there's not a lot of focus there, you can so easily fall. You know, even though you can hop right back on it and just kill another. Ten times in a row. Yeah, it's kind of like you say. It's one of those daunting obstacles that if you if you're not really locked in, you know, it, it's something that can take out a lot of good competitors, and and, and it has before. You know, I mean, you look at. Um, you know, the viewers might know if they've watched the show, you know, Isaac Caldero, who was who was the first American Ninja Warrior, you know, he, he spent two years with fighting that, you know, that one obstacle, you know, the Salmon Ladder, and, and it just goes to show that no matter how strong you are, you know, if there's a little mental lapse, I mean, you can still fall. I mean, we can fall anywhere. That's the the beauty and the and the ugly of it <laughs> you know that it could just take you out any time
1: yeah i that and I, I, amongst the obstacles it seems to me like the the, the hardest things to do would be in, in many of them where you basically have to create momentum where you're yeah. dead weight that seems that that seems impossible
4: yeah yeah there's 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 so many tough ones i mean it's it's exactly like you say i mean once you once you're in a predicament where you're in the air you're hanging you're usually either hanging on a Little bar or a little, you know something of course that has little to no grip, and, and you've got to somehow propel your body sometimes upwards to eight nine feet ahead of you. You know in the ninja world what we call it is a lache, of course, and, and that's just where you use your feet, where you use your whole body to get yourself to propel forward. It, it, just like you're saying, it's it's very difficult, but it's exactly what we train for throughout the year, so it's it's not surprising. You know I mean we get on the course and we know that that's what we're going to have to do. So if you're not prepared for it, then that's just a lack of preparation it is very difficult but it's one of the tasks we have to complete
1: so how do you how do you fit being an, an american ninja warrior into everyday life
4: it's really easy with my kids i mean they're they're crazy obsessed i mean my son every day dad we go going to the gym to train today i mean my son's five years old his name's jet he can already do obstacles in our gym that that most most if not all grown-ups wow can do. Jim, it's really, really amazing. You know, you almost wish there was like a little five- to ten-year-old league or something where the kids could, could go and, and compete. But um, when I say it's a part of my life, i I got to be realistic. It's a very, um, you know, side part of my life. And this is going to be probably some pretty big news to you, but la- this past year I wasn't able to compete in Vegas because I got electrocuted. Um, I spent a couple days... Uh, In a hospital, in ICU, I had literally—I know this sounds fake—but I I literally died. Just about 20 minutes, no heartbeat, no pulse. And that's that's what's going to be a, a great part of the show coming up as we as we proceed. So for me, there's kind of been a whole new perspective on life. Really, while I love Ninja Warrior, while it's amazing, and I, and I love to compete, there's that that traumatic time for me and my family, and my wife. You know, almost losing you know kids, almost losing their dad, and and, and my spouse losing her almost losing her husband. We've had a um, we've had a pretty serious year, and it's it's really allowed us to put a lot of things in perspective. So. I guess to answer the question, in the world of, of Ninja Warrior and then regular life, Ninja Warrior is just a little reward. You know, it's just a little extra icing on the cake. But outside of that, I mean, I have everything I need right here with my family and, and my friends and my, my wife and kids. You know, I'm trying to get emotional here, but it's 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 been a it's been a wonderful year. It's been a blessed year. Blessed to be alive.
1: Absolutely. How does Ninja that Warrior. change? Oh. How does that change how you approach your runs now? Now that you have a greater general perspective on things.
4: It really helped me this year. I mean, you know, when you you know the past two years, I had had gotten the fastest times um, in both finals and, and kind of a, a top spot, and almost where you get expected to do well often it's, it's nice to, to not have that expectation, you know. I mean, I almost it's nice because I had the crutch of, you know, I've been in the hospital most of this year not not being able to compete. So so going in there with that, it's like, hey, anything is success. You know, I mean, if I complete a couple obstacles, it's a success, you know. So being able to run the course a little more lighthearted, a little less pressure, was it was really nice. And I'm, I'm going to try to take that, you know, on to this final run, you know, really get out there and, and just, just have fun with it. You know, go back. Back to square one, you know, where it was just me, my brother, and my dad, and we just wanted to go out there and enjoy ourselves, and and that's where I found success, so I'm trying to get back to that that foundational building block.
1: Jeremiah, man, uh, all the best to you. really appreciate your time, and, and glad you came through all of that uh, okay, and uh, uh, looking forward to watching you this season, all
4: right? Absolutely, man. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again.
1: NBC has not published an on-air date yet for the Dallas City Finals, but it looks like it could possibly be Monday, July the 9th. We had a chance to speak with Dak Prescott this week for an interview that's coming up later this month on MPB Season Pass. But here's what he had to say about whether or not he'll make it to Omaha for the College World Series. Dak, are you going to have an opportunity to get up to Omaha to watch State in the College World Series?
3: Yeah, we're one game away. I've already made the, the commitment. Uh, we win this one game, and we're in the national championship. I'm there. So, Hell uh, State, uh, maybe you'll see me in Omaha here pretty
1: soon. There you go. I know you made a lot of folks happy showing up on Showtime at the fights with your MSU baseball jersey and baseball cap on. Man, I'm telling you, it's an easy thing to do, and it made a, th- a ton of people happy. Thank you so much for listening today. For our producer, Liz Gill, I'm Jay White. Coming up next is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio.